This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by This Is Not Church podcast and the letter F. And you. (laughs) (laughs) If you've made it this far, my name is Nat Turney, my brother John Turney, and I co-host This Is Not Church, the podcast. And this is sadly the level of discourse that you can expect to find if you tune in every Monday when we drop new episodes. But all joking aside, John and I see this as as an opportunity for us to address issues that we don't think are addressed nearly enough inside of evangelicalism. So LGBTQIA plus issues, BIPOC issues, social justice issues. We like to talk to a broad variety and range of people and really try to find places of commonality for everybody. So check out the podcast. Every Monday, our episodes drop. Wherever you stream podcasts, you can find us. Remember, this is not church. And to that, John says, Peace. Welcome to Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer an evangelical, with your hosts, hosts, authors Keith Giles and Matthew J. DiStefano. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of Apostates Anonymous. I am one of your hosts, Matthew J. DiStefano, the author of The Wisdom of Hobbits and the forthcoming Mimetic Theory and Middle Earth. That's going to be out March 14th on the anniversary of the last book, so I'm excited about that. And I'm joined by Keith Giles, my partner in crime. Uh, Say hi to the people. Hello, everyone. Uh, It's Keith, uh, your the other host, and uh, happy to be here. The other the other guy, the, that other guy, the other white bread, um, white meat, whatever the other white the meat, whitest bread, the, the wonder bread. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. If you don't know already, you know, I, uh, I'm an author. I've written the Jesus on series. Check him out on Amazon. Uh, I have another podcast called second cup with Keith and there's a book that goes right along with it. Second cup with Keith, the book, check that out. Speaking of books related to podcast, Matt and I do another podcast together called heritage happy hour. And there's a book for that podcast that just came out features interviews with some amazing people like Rain Wilson, Bishop Carlton Pearson, um, John Fugel saying some amazing people. So yeah, go check that out. But wait, there's more. There's more. That's what, that's what it felt like. How are you today? What's new <clears throat> in your neck of neck of the woods? Well, what is new? Um, I, I finally yesterday reached a point where my, I cleared off my desk enough to actually have time to go and work on some personal things. So I'm trying to get back into proofing the gospel of Thomas um, to get that ready to you, send over to you so we can get that thing ready to publish. And, and this kind of ties into what our topic is going to be today. I'm also uh, finished up doing edits for a new book project that we're doing with choir called who is Jesus to you. And that book is going to be pretty sweet. There's some amazing contributors to that book. Kienes Jesus Parati. Uh, I have a con- contribution in there, so you know it's worth the price of yeah, admission alone. I put yours at the very end because I thought yours was a that's great way I, to end it. Did you put it at the very end? I did. I'm serious. I thought it was a great oh, way to yeah, wrap it up. Really? It was. Like, I think it was. Don't you think? Don't you think yours is sort of a final? After I've read um, everybody else's perspectives, I think <laughs> your perspective gives this like. Don't give it away, yeah, I, but it's a great. It's a great. I won't, ending. but. Do I do I worry that perhaps 
I might leave a bad taste in someone's no. mouth. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> it's it's. I mean, it's a little bit harsh, isn't it? No, like, it's I'm, not. I'm no, a little. No. It's like it's like finishing your night with a whiskey. It's it's good for some people, but some people might want to not end that way. If you want, if you want to go back in and and soften the blow a little bit, you can do that. Oh, I don't. I just maybe <laughs> thought you might put me like as the penultimate essay. But oh, okay. Hey, hey, well, I'll clean. I'll clean it up for folks. Who do you? Who do you? Can you give away who you're leading off the the book with? Well, Katie Valentine writes the preface. Because um, it's her que- it's her question from Heritage Happy Hour, essentially. Yes, I think the I think the very first one is Matthew Corman, uh, who wrote "Saying No to God." He's a scholar, um, Harvard dude. Yeah, doctorate. I don't know Yale. if he's got a doctor or not, but Whoa. He, is Whoa. it is it Yale? Yale, Yale. Yale Harvard. Jesus what Christ. the hell? You just you just woo. I, they they take that seriously. It's, over they're there the same the, thing. Uh, it's the same thing in the in the northeast part of the country. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Sorry, Matthew Corman. Um, yeah. Anyway, yes. Well, he's he's a smart guy, and then um, yeah, there's a great mix of people. Like I'm not, I'm not going to remember all of them. I will say, um, choir author Matt Downey, uh, hers blew me away. I loved her chapter. Uh, but Greg Boyd is in this. Um, Brandon Robertson is in this. Um, Nora Sophia, um, Leslie Nees, she was, uh, she's also a choir author. We're going to be publishing her book coming up soon, but, uh, she was on Survivor China. Survivor China. Something Ch- like that. China. China. <laughs> Survivor China. China. So hers, yeah. hers, her chapter's great. I mean, there's so many great people. Um, Angie Von Slaughter's in there. Melissa Denise, uh, who does the Love Covered Life podcast. Is in there. Um, it's a it's a nice cross section. I mean, and our friend Safi Koskis has a chapter in there as well, uh, who's a Muslim, but he a, a Muslim who loves Jesus. So uh, it's yeah, it's good. It's all essays about you know who is Jesus to you now, and um, it's really great. Now, that, so now that you're on your way to hell, who do, who does Jesus? Well, mean I mean, you? so this is the thing. There's a there's a quite a, a spectrum, right? I mean, I would say there's a few contributors like Greg Boyd, who is probably going to be more. Kind of, I hate to say, um, I mean, he's still a progressive Christian, but you know, uh, so he's coming out. I would not call Greg progressive at all. Okay, well, that's the best. See, that's that's compared to to my Southern Baptist upbringing, he's he's progressive, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But But that proves your point how diverse the the people are because I'm in there and I'm like, yo, he's not progressive. So, so (laughs) really, yeah, so really, we've got basically, yeah, um, pastors all the way to post-Christian, new age, yeah. you know, who is Jesus to you? He's second person of the Trinity all the way to, he's an ascended master who uh, is telling us about our own divinity and everything in between. That's chapter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is out, out and out in left field a little bit. <clears throat> um, but we have a topic today, which probably relates, but yeah. um, bit. perhaps doesn't relate to the ad that comes before the topic. Which is sometimes the case where sometimes you get a sponsor and you just take it because you you really believe in what they do. Well, because you know the sponsors don't really know what our what our uh, editorial calendar is supposed to be, right? What we're going to be talking about, and right. you know why they don't know that because you and I don't know that because we don't until know right those. before we hit record. We don't know what we're talking and about, if, and so. if you can't tell. <laughs> That's on you. That's right. So let's hear a word from our sponsor. Today's cities are in ruins. 
Crime is rampant, corruption is an all-time high, and the swamp is as full as ever. With police budgets gutted, people have nowhere left to turn. That's where Shekinah Glory Holes steps in. At Shekinah Glory Holes, our number one priority is this, to come together around a man offering our love-soaked prayers up to the Almighty, and in doing so he provides his hedge of protection over all of us, spreading his seeds of glory wherever he walks. Currently, we have Shekinah glory holes all over the continental United States, but finding them can be quite difficult, as this country doesn't want you to feel the pleasure that comes with the clasped hands of your fellow man. So find us on Telegram, and take comfort in the fact that all your glory hole visits will be our little secret. We'll see you soon, and we can't wait for you to taste the glory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm... I'm kind of disturbed i'm not exactly sure what that ad was for uh it's a it's a prayer group they, oh, they, they oh. pray for you underground prayer group i got okay i was because i was and and and, and a part the of the ad when i when i <laughs> well that's not that i mean when i spoke with them uh, uh. about this advertisement i they wanted to make sure that they kept it um, a little underground because they're worried about the current sure. culture right. and that Christians are attacked in this country all the time. And so they, they have their prayer groups in these hole in the walls of course. Um, type places. Like think of a small restaurant, but it's a prayer group or like a strip mall, so it's, maybe a strip mall with like a laundromat. Yeah, just a tiny a, place, not marked un, because yeah, they want to, they want to, you know, they, they took prayers out of school. So they're going That's to the right. strip malls into their, yeah. Shekinah glory holes. Shekinah glory holes. Yeah, there's probably like a, mm -hmm. a a password. And that's that's why you find them on Telegram. That you know it's all encrypted and <laughs> the government can't track you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. I, you know what? We find the most interesting sponsors. I got to say, we have the most unique sponsors on this show. Mm -hmm. uh, and thank you well, all. Mostly from the mostly from the dark web. <laughs> yes, from the dark web or the backwoods of. Somewhere in Mississippi. Uh, Frog Jump, Mississippi. Yep. I know we got some listeners in Frog Jump. Yeah. Well, actually, there's a Frog Jump, Tennessee. My mom was born there, actually. Oh, well, whatever. Whatever yep. this fucking state is. They're all the same over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry to piss off all of our friends, of our all of our sure. lovely listeners in the South. We apologize. You know, we're just, we love you. I have, I, have a lot of, I have a lot of friends in the South. A lot of friends in Nashville. Yeah, I um, do too. Yeah. I have yeah, family so. in Nashville, actually. So. Hey, you're, you can make fun of us in California. It's fair game. Yeah. Hey man. Well, I'm hey, in, man. I'm in Texas now, so you know it's it's yeah, kind of bad. To, there's a speaking of this. There's also if you've seen her on Instagram, I'll, I'll give her a shout out. This is just a free plug. Um, I can't remember her name, but if you search it, I'm sure you can find it. There's this comedian on Instagram, and she's like a recovering Californian, but she now she lives in Tennessee. That's her whole shtick. She goes, okay. "Hi, I'm Carolyn something, and I'm a recovering Californian," and then she'll like do these little video clips. They're really funny. She's really cool. Cool, man. So sweet plug when you can't even remember her yes. name. Yes. I think it is Carolyn. It's coming to me. I think it's Carolyn something. But anyway, mm. it's funny. Go look let's it hope up. Your, let's hope your marketing chops are a little better than that. You know, um, Google buddy, it. Buddy boy. Google it. You'll find, you'll find her. <laughs> you ever tell someone to Google something? Google it. <laughs> it's just offhand. <laughs> and you got Google. What are you talking about? Yeah, just Google it. All right. What's our topic today? Um, well... I think our topic is, um, I don't know, I guess I was just thinking about, I think I think that we're going to call this something like, you know, being human as God is human. Um, but I think it's, I think what we're going to actually end up talking about is more like the humanity of Jesus. You know, again, 
this goes to the whole, like, who is Jesus to you? And um, I think, you know, when I was an evangelical Christian, and especially when I was in college and doing apologetics, the whole thing was, you know, Jesus is God, right? And people would ask, do you believe that Jesus is God, right? And this is, we're so so emphasizing this thing. We got to talk about that. You have to believe and have faith that Jesus was God. And so the divinity of Jesus is kind of always the emphasis. And I guess on this conversation, on this episode, I wanted to talk about, let's emphasize the humanity of Jesus. If you believe that Jesus was God, then you're going to, then, then what we're saying is that God was human. And, and why was God human? In what ways was God human? And what is the significance that God was human? So there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> I just, I, I take God out of the equation. Like, I mean, as mimetic beings, if you have a God or not God, however you label it, like it's, it's who you follow and whether it's a God or not, you're right that we have to, I think a better approach is to view the humanity of something and, and recognize that rather than Jesus be this kind of ethereal second person of the Trinity, whatever the hell that means, right? Yeah. Like once you start using God language, it gets really nebulous sometimes. Mm -hmm. You just say, is, is Jesus as a person worth following? And that's a more important question because it's practical. Yes. Because if, if there are things worth following, we have to hopefully, well, I believe that the moral arc of the universe heads towards justice, peace, yes. restoration, all those good things that Paul talks about, other people talk about. Right. Um, so that that is the only important that is the only question that's important to me these days because the minute you mention God is the minute I have to pause you and say, okay, well, let's realize that everything we now say is theology. Right. It's not necessary. So so it's kind of uh, it's 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 pointless in one regard. Yeah, it's important in one regard, but it's also pointless in another. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting too is, um, depending on what you're talking about, it has a different emphasis, right? So, if the when the emphasis is on Jesus is God, if that's like your whole emphasis, and again, when I was an evangelical, that was the that was one of the big deals, right? Um, it seems that the Jesus is God emphasis is more about authority, right? So you better shut up and listen and do what Jesus says and watch out because he's going to get you kind of a thing. Um, it's a power down, power over kind of a conversation, right? Um, and that's why I think evangelicals are so wrapped up into that because then Jesus becomes, well, you need to worship Jesus. You need to, you know, obeyed. It's all about obedience and worship, right? And authority. But when you flip that around and you say, okay, but let's say that, um, that God was human. That's a completely different conversation. Uh, now it's not about power over. It's about power under. It's about humility. Uh, I guess one of the other things that kind of sparked this too was I just, uh, did a response video with Tim Whitaker on this guy that wrote a book about, um, against universal reconciliation. It was horrible, horrible book. Um, but, but in his, in his interview that we were responding to, he, he made, he went off on this tangent and had this big thing about how, um, how Christians, you know, progressive, quote unquote, progressive Christians who embrace universal reconciliation, um, that one of the problems with them was they, they tended to see God, like they would say things like, these are his words, you know, that God diminished himself when he created 
um, you know, the universe or everything. We got, we, in creation, God diminished himself. And he thought that was horrible. Like, no, 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 God doesn't. God is great. God is powerful. Like, again, he wanted God to be up there, over powerful, you know, and everything. And I'm like, that is such an odd way to phrase it. Like, what, what is your problem with God humbling, you know, God, God, you know, isn't that the whole point of Philippians 2, right? That, that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but let go of that, emptied himself, humbled himself, took on the form of a, you know, became human, took on flesh, took on the form of a servant. And so, you know, what we see in Philippians 2 is, is God in the form of Jesus in, the, in this metaphor going down, 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 not even just a human level, but then underneath humans to be a servant to us. And then that's the, and, and then that is, that is presented to us in Philippians 2 as, and you should do the same. So because God did that, you should do that. You should also be one who is meek and humble and, and, and who serves other people, right, um, in this same way. And it's just funny to me, like, the, those different emphasis on who Jesus is and how it will impact the way you live. Are you living then from a place of authority? I'm right, you're wrong, shut up. You know, Jesus is God. Don't question it. Um, you know, just bend the knee and bow the head. Or is it, no, God was God became human, therefore, okay. Then what does it mean to be a human being that's like God? Then I'm I'm humble, I'm a servant, I'm loving other people, I'm caring for other people. And I kind of feel like those are your choices. Like you, at least within Christianity, you're going to pick one or the other, and it's radically going to impact the way you behave, the way you think, and the way you treat other people. Yeah, it's, well, first first off, great thoughts. Um, it's really weird to think of someone, a human being, like needing worship or even getting worship. Yes. Like, I I just imagine Jesus, the person, like, I guess just standing on stage while the worship team comes up and plays and they sing songs at him. Yes. Like he's not even participating. He's, they're just singing at him. Like he's the King or the emperor. Yeah. And then he gives thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah. You know, like from gladiator. Um, and then like the, the Luther talked about all this. He talked about the the kind of the God from below or the the God from above. And, and what is the point? What is the point of a God who is is just like all the other gods? First of all, that's right. how all the all, all the other gods. But 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 really, like if we're going to say that God is all knowing, which that that's a whole discussion in and of itself, don't we have to say that to know something is to experience it? Mm-hmm. So doesn't God have to experience humility and meekness and servitude in order to say God knows those things. Right. Just like we have to say, I can ride it. If I, if I know how to ride a bike, I have to be able to ride the bike. It doesn't mean you watched a YouTube video on bike. Riding. Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay. I, I understand the physics. I of understand it. how to ride a bike. Sure. But you've never actually sat. <laughs> yeah, on I, I even, I even made the bike. <laughs> I even created the bike and I created the person who does the bike. Yeah. But can I say, I know how to ride the bike if I don't myself sit on the bike. And get on there. So if if we're gonna say that God knows all these things, then it kind of has to be. Sorry to be orthodox for a second. It kind of has to be incarnational mm-hmm. and then experienced. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. And so the answer to that kind of is a, a person who is born into poverty to experience poverty. God knows what poverty is to experience yeah. suffering. Yes. To experience physical and bodily and spiritual suffering and anguish and confusion Hunger and sin and, and fatigue and and and, rep- and repentance. Yes. And learning. And then we start talking yeah. and learning. Yeah, learning and growth and, and fucking it up and doing it right the next time. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Changing his mind. Yes. This is what I'm So then we talk we talk about a God who's a lot different. When we start human mm-hmm. and go to God, then we have a different God than if we start God and go to human. Mm-hmm. And most people go God. All powerful, yeah. almighty, all knows everything, world beating. Do anything. Knows everything. Yeah. Oh, so he knows the experience of repentance. Because the Christian God doesn't in right. most people's framework. Yeah. He doesn't know the experience of repentance. I would say I would much rather have a God who has had to repent, like maybe Jesus calling a woman a dog. Mm-hmm. Yo, Jesus. Nah. Yeah. And so the Jesus of today would have repented. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 hoping. Well, even in that story, it <laughs> seems that he does because he learns from her. He's he changes, she changes his mind. Right? He she can If Jesus didn't die on a cross, would he grow? Would he continue to grow? Would he of continue course. to have those experiences? Of course, right? Yeah. So Give me the God who repents and changes God's mind, which Matthew Cortman would right. argue. A great book on that. Yeah. No, this right. is this is exactly what I wanted to talk about because because like, the, again, these are the things that I got to say when I was an evangelical Christian were very uncomfortable to talk about or even think about. You know, and I, and I remember sitting around, you know, like in college with some friends of mine, and somebody might we, someone might start saying things like that. Well, you know, you know, it says in uh, in the Gospels, I don't know, I think it's Matthew or something that. Um, that Jesus grew, uh, you know, in understanding and stuff mm-hmm. and, and in obedience to his parents. And they're like, okay, so how does God, <laughs> if we're going to say, okay, Jesus was God, you know, um, grew and learned and was obedient to his parents. Like, I remember always thinking like, at what point in in that evangelical framework, like uh, that, that view of, of God and Jesus, at what point did Jesus kind of just wake up and go, oh, I'm God? You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> I created the universe. Oh, oh my me. Oh my me. Um, but see, I, I, but I think this is what I wanted to talk about. This is exactly what, what the kind of thing I want to talk about. Like if you start emphasizing and really, like you said, start with human. Um, like I, one of the, I had a conversation with Kenneth Tanner, uh, father Kenneth Tanner, great guy. And he was, he, he was um, sparking my imagination on some of this. He was saying that. What is an Orthodox doing talking to a heretic like you? Yeah. Well, he, I don't think he knew I was a heretic at the time. Um, oh, okay. I mean, he, he might know now, but, um, <laughs> but at the time we were talking and he was saying that um, I didn't know this, that a lot of early Christians had this view of, of the incarnation. It's really interesting that the, their view of the incarnation was that God didn't become fully incarnated as, as a human, and this is to your point, until he died. So until the moment of death on the cross, Jesus, oh, okay. God, God didn't fully incarnate because until a human being dies, you haven't, God had an experience. You yeah. haven't had the human experience from beginning to end. If you, if again, so like we as humans, right? We've experienced birth. We've experienced, you know, being an infant learning to walk, being a toddler, uh, you know, going through puberty, 
you know, whatever, all these different you know, milestones in the, in the human experience. But until we die, we haven't completed the human experience. And, and in that sense, God in the incarnation in Christ, in, in Jesus, in the life of Jesus, wasn't complete until his death. And I'm like, oh, wow. So God wasn't fully human until right at the end. Right okay, but okay, to, put, to push back on that, okay, so you're saying no one before Jesus who lived and died was incarnated with God? So God had, I would say God has experienced death every time anything, like anything is lived and died. Yeah, but I would say it's not a moment in time. It's a, it's a process, right? So in other words, it's always becoming, it's always being, it's always, so the incarnation is incarnationing, right? right? The, the incarnation began... Yeah at birth and they continued all the way up until the death. Right. Yeah. So I think that's a, I like, that's very fascinating to me to think of it in that sense. Um, and so currently God is continuing to incarnate. I would, yes. God is present tense incarnating in all. Uh, yeah. Yes. And has always been incarnate. Has always been. So now th- two things there, right? So in both directions, maybe. So, um, Again, this is breaking away from sort of the evangelical Christian mindset, right? Because in the evangelical Christian mindset, the this incarnation that Kenneth Tanner is talking about, this is where I would disagree with Kenneth Tanner probably, um, that incarnation event, miracle, whatever it is, is only about Jesus, right? It's only about Jesus. Whereas I would say the uh, incarnation, God incarnating in humanity, in human consciousness, has been going on long before Jesus and is still going on now. Um, that, that, that again, this is a, the process of incarnation uh, has been ongoing. Now, Richard Rohr would agree with that, but, but interestingly enough, you know, some, some pretty major church fathers like Athanasius uh, also affirm this idea that the, that uh, the Christ or that God was incarnate in all of creation, right? Uh, even before Jesus. So that's not even, it's not, I would say that's not even a heretical view, and it's not a new idea. It's actually something that Christians, um, all the way back to Athanasius at least, have been pondering and considering this ongoing incarnation process. So you, so you'd put it like this: You have heard it said that that Jesus is the only incarnate of God, but I say unto you, as Keith Giles in twenty twenty four, yeah, God's always been incarnating and will always continue to be incarnating. That's right. That's right. I can dig it. Salah. Yeah. And then they picked up stones. <laughs> no, um, yeah, but why 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 Jesus? Then 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 there's gotta be some there's gotta be something that because I don't I don't believe in the conspiracy and the hoax. That's why they got so many followers and all that shit. What do you mean? You know, Rome made it, Rome made him up to pacify oh, the people. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that at all. So then, no, so the, no, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. So then, so then, what's the mechanism that gets? Then why? Then why do so many people like start following Jesus? And why today do we even revere him? Did God really raise him from the dead? Then, okay, that's a great one. Let's but let's start with the first question because that's at least two questions in there. Um, so, um, why did Jesus? Uh, sort of get popular, right? How did how did we get to this point, right? It is it is more of a historical question, and then it's also more of a, th- a theological question. Sure. Then, okay, so if it's if it's always been incarnated and always will be incarnating, Jesus would be no different than the rest of us. 
then why do we care about Jesus? It, I mean, we can say, oh, we don't any more than Gandhi, but, but we do because we talk about Jesus a lot more than we talk about Gandhi. Right. So let's, yeah. Um, so but let's talk about that. Yeah. So th- I, I have a theory. I, I would have to do massive amounts of research to prove it, but uh, oh, this boy. is my theory. I think here we go. Put on the put on the heresy button here. I think aliens. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> no. I think um, I think Jesus was a human being. I think Jesus um, did sort of have an epiphany. Had some uh, realization of the sort of the Christ consciousness. Um, of course, I don't think he would have called it that, but. Um, but I think some of the things that Jesus says about, you know, in that day, you will know that I'm the father and that you are in me and I am in you, like this sort of interconnectedness between the divine and the human. So anyways, I think Jesus was a very, um, charismatic person. I think he said things that got people excited and amazed them. And and like the parables that he told the, the, you know, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. I think, I think the core of who Jesus was and the message that he gave was very simple it was something that was a threat to the power structures of the day, the, the Roman government and to the religious authorities of the day. And I do think that's the reason why he ultimately ended up getting crucified. Again, the same way Socrates or Gandhi or Martin Luther King or others uh, who have had similar messages have also ended up getting you know killed. This is all mimetic theory stuff. Right. Yeah. So I'm, tra- I think, I'm tracking with you. All right. So I think this is why Jesus, let's say contemporary to Jesus, first century um, that's why there was this all this swirl around him of man, this Jesus guy. Have you heard him talk? You know what he's talking about. You know what he's doing. Oh my gosh, this is radical. This is revolutionary. This is exciting. And then he's crucified, and then it's sort of like a yeah. scramble to like, okay, what the hell just happened, right? Let's make some sense of this, right? Um, I agree with like Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan and some others um, that that there was again because I do believe in God. I'm a deist, right? Uh, I do believe in the Christ consciousness. Um, so I think that after the crucifixion of Jesus, I think this is how I would frame it. I think those disciples um, did have sort of a spiritual experience that that they communicated was they had encountered the resurrected Jesus or the resurrected Christ. Um, I don't think it was physical. I don't think Jesus' body came out of the grave. I think they continued to have revelation um, if you want to say from God or from the Christ consciousness or whatever, that convinced them that the ideas, the spirit, if you will, of Jesus was still alive and was still in motion and that they could be a part of that forward motion, the continuing motion of, in other words, as you were, we were just saying, hey, that Jesus was the incarnation of Christ, but so are we. By the way, that's all through Paul's writings. He says that all the time. And, and let's remind everybody, Paul's writings came long before the gospels were even written. So, you know, Paul is, is the first sort of Christian person writing about Christ, and he's writing things like um, Christ fills everything in every way, and we are all filled with the fullness of God, and this idea that we, we are now the body of Christ, right? Um, Jesus was the incarnation. Uh, Richard Rohr explains it this way. Then the bread is held up and Jesus holds up the bread and says, this is my body. So now this now, now the body of Christ is this bread symbolically. And then Paul is saying that we are partakers of Christ, that we are the hands and the feet of Christ. We are now the body of Christ. And in that sense, that spiritual encounters with Christ, 
um, post post resurrection or post crucifixion, um, along with these ideas that the spirit of Christ now is in us, in all of us. Um, I think that's why sort of the the movement of Jesus continued. However, let me put another asterisk. Again, part of my theory. I think the reason why we're still talking about Jesus today is also because, um, yeah, I do think, you know, Christendom, Constantine, right, um, ended up elevating it, giving power to it, giving authority structures to Christianity so that it, it endures today as what we experience today. Um, I think you could, it would be an interesting debate as to whether or not it that would be the case if Constantine had picked some other religion like Mithraism or something else. Well, uh, from what I understand, Constantine didn't pick Christianity. He just allowed it to be legal. And then after Constantine, it was adopted as the official religion. Yeah, but don't you so think... I think it was the... Yeah, but I think it was the... I would think it was the emperor after Constantine. I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah. But what... Okay. What's his name? Asubius? Um, I, I feel like... I mean, okay, look, I, I, I know this... I don't want this to sound like so, too conspiratorial, but... Um, I read a secular book about Constantine. It's called Constantine the Great. I think it's Michael Grant is the author. Um, so totally secular book, just about the life of Constantine, right? And I'm reading this book, and it seems in that book that like it really feels like he and Asubius. Asubius was a Christian bishop, and Asubius, what I think was sort of like his like, um, how would I say it? Like he's the one that was telling Constantine basically, say it this way use this language. In other words, like, here's how, here's the best way to sort of co-opt the other Christian bishops to buy into your political power. Um, and so I think Constantine had help from Asubius, an insider, um, to intentionally, like, like he, like, for example, um, the the story of Constantine's quote unquote conversion experience on the bridge of whatever Malvern mm-hmm. or whatever it was, um, it this the story changed. The first time he tells it, it doesn't have all these elements. He doesn't say he saw the symbol of Jesus over him. He didn't that a voice spoke to him. Um, but those those parts of his story, you know, that end up later on, show up after he speaks to Asubius, and it sounds like Asubius says, "Hey, make your story sound like the story that Paul tells." When Paul is on the road to Damascus, you saw a bright light. You heard a voice from heaven. You saw something. And so his story gets um, edited creatively, I think, with help from Asubius to make his story sound more legit. And I, so I think there wasn't, I guess my whole point is there's, there was an intentionality to, hey, let's take Christianity. Let's find a way to, you know, incorporate it into what whatever Constantine oh, wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not opposed. I mean, fuck, that shit happens today. Of course. Where you you kind of soften the language of something, you you do this and that to get it more politically palatable. Yeah. But it's only a, it's only a step in the direction towards your ultimate goal. Right. Um uh, uh so I'm not I'm not I think my point was just um Oh, I don't even remember my point exactly <laughs> at this point, but I think I think the point is that it, it started. Christianity started as a serious. What you're saying, if correct me if I'm wrong, is like it's like God did something spiritually, if, if you want to say it that way. Um, whether bodily or spiritually, maybe we mm-hmm. have a discussion about that. Sure. And the arguments and counter arguments. Um, if it's important, some people say it is. I don't think about it. 
um, sure. honestly. I do think it would be kind of cool if we had like regular bodies, like, uh, you know, in some sort of like. I have a regular body. What do you mean? What's wrong with your body? Well, <laughs> I mean, from what you're saying, it sounds like that Jesus ain't coming back with a, a body. There's not a bodily. Oh, no, I, I would say no. Yeah, that's that. I wrote a book on that. Jesus unexpected. Yeah, my whole thing is that this we are the second coming of Christ. We are the body. I, I, of Christ. I think that I was. Yeah, that's true. But can can two things be true at the same time? Right? Like maybe. I don't think so, personally. No, because I, the reason why I don't buy into that is that I think the idea that Jesus I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm an apologist for sure. a bodily resurrection because I, I, I would be shocked if that's what you were saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, again. Uh, people really don't like this idea because I know some, I've talked to so many Christians that are just like, no, but I need to see Jesus face to face. I need to like, I need, I need specifically Jesus, you know? And I'm like, I, and, and they need it to be, they need it to be real, like physical. And if he needs to physically show up in the sky in a cloud and there needs to be a trumpet and he needs to be riding a white pony with a sword coming out of his mouth. Like they need to actually experience that exact real thing. And I'm like, okay, but what if instead you die and we're all going to die. And when you die, you are in the presence of pure love. Uh, you know, you're in the presence of God in Christ. You have an experience that you could never have in your physical body. It's just because that veil is removed. You are, you are pure spirit to pure spirit, pure consciousness to pure consciousness. Uh, you know, again, face to face, if you want to say it that way. And you, you are experiencing the pure, you know, concentrated, fullness of the love of Christ. That's not enough for you. You need him to like have a beard and be wearing a robe and like, and be fit, like physically shake his hand before that's satisfying to you somehow. Like, I mean, I guess on one level, I guess it's because we have that expectation we were given that that is what's going to happen. I'm saying it's going to be a hundred thousand times better than that. Um, and I'm saying, I'm not saying you're not going to have some experience with Christ. I mean, of course you are, because you're going to return to the source of all things in the universe. Right. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't, I, I personally just don't think there's going to be I think, a physical I think return. Some of us, Jesus. I think some of us are going to die and we're going to come face to face with Jesus. And it's going to be a prostitute in the street. Yeah. And you're still gonna have to, and, and it's, and you're gonna finally realize, like, oh shit, or it's gonna be the people you hate. It's It'll gonna be, be an a immigrant. Muslim. It'll be an immigrant. It's gonna be an immigrant. Yeah, or a Muslim. It's gonna be someone. It's gonna be someone with cerebral palsy. It's gonna be yeah. gay person. Be a yeah. trans person. Yes. It's gonna be a a, trans person. all the people. Whatever would offend you and and, and scandalize you. Yes, I think I totally agree. Everywhere. That's the thing you're, you're gonna, gonna see. You're gonna be walking through just a streets, the streets of them. Yep. That's your hell until you figure it out. And like, oh, this was Christ all along. Yeah, this was Christ. Yeah, and so you never you, talk about me coming face to face with Jesus and talk about oh, Jesus is still going to be the widow, yeah, and the beggar. That's right, and the and the leper. Yeah, or the, you know, the one who's I hungry and thirsty and in prison. And yeah, and then, what what did you yeah. do with them? Yeah, exactly. Like this is this is I think that I think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew twenty five. Like, you know, like here again, I'm in Texas and. um, the governor is putting up razor wire and says he would, uh, if he, he, if he could get away with it, he would put up snipers and he would assassinate immigrants trying to cross, you know, over into Texas. And it's like, okay, understand what you're saying is, um, I would, I would put up razor wire to drown Jesus and his family in 
the Rio Grande. I would, That's I would not assassinate you're twisting Jesus. my words. You're twisting my no, words. I'm, I'm not, but I'm, I'm quoting Jesus' words, right? Jesus is saying, whatever I you've know. done for the least of these, you did it to me. And exactly. so uh, that's the reality. And this is why I think the humanity of Jesus is so important. Not just Jesus, the humanity of, of God. That, that To see God in everyone, in one another, is such a critical thing for us as humanity. I think it's the thing, again, for me, I think it's the one thing that we need to get. Again, I think Jesus emphasizes this all the time, as we just said in Matthew 25. When you've done to the least of these, you've done it to me. Um you know, that there, there is this connection between the, the divine and the human. And if we fail to recognize that, for as long as we fail to see that, we are going to continually be um, sort of doomed to live in a world where there is this kind of suffering that's going on all around us. Because we, you can only, you can only create suffering in another human being if you fail to see yourself or you fail to, and or fail to see God in that other person. I've told, I've told Christians for years now in print, I'll say it again. I don't care <laughs> if you want hell, you can have it. I don't believe in hell. No, I mean, I believe in, I believe in hell as long as we, we dare the situation and, yeah. and define what we're talking about. Yes. However, in, in the evangelical model of hell, I don't believe that, but if it's true, I don't have anything to worry about because I'm not a talking about Jesus all the time follower and then not doing the things he said to do. Right. I might not do the things he said to do because like <laughs> we all fuck up, yeah. right? Yeah. But the point of that parable is that it's the people who I think that this is how I interpret it today. It's the people who go to church every Sunday and every Wednesday for Bible study and blah, 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 blah. Or they take photo ops of them reading their Bible in front of all their crosses and post it on their Twitter. And then they hate every single person that Jesus is. Yes. That Jesus says he is mm -hmm. the widow, the immigrant, you know, all yep. the people that those those folks hate. Yeah. Um, I hate to break it to you, but you're the ones who go to hell. According to like it, read yeah. the read the story. Yeah. Read Mark nine. Everyone passes through the fire. Yeah. If you're confident that your shit ain't gonna burn up, then keep at it. Yeah. Keep taking your photo ops and look in the mirror and be honest with yourself. And when you when you when you read those passages, just make sure you skip over them because they're woke liberal agendas. Mm -hmm. But you know that's not true. You know those words are in there, and you believe or you say you believe that Jesus said them. Yeah. So we all pass through the fire. So yeah. you know whatever. I'm a universalist, and I st I still believe that. I believe there is some sort of justice. I don't know if mm -hmm. it's Christ centered or pluralistic. Or whatever, but I, I have to believe there's some sort of justice in the end. That's why I can't be an atheist, honestly. Right. Really, is like Christians or, or anyone who believes in God has the problem of suffering, but atheists have the problem of justice. This is a cold, last of us type of world. Yes. Uh, like dark. Yeah. Most people die with no justice and their whole life suffering. Yes. And. I, I can't I can't get on board with that just like I can't get on board with a God who could totally prevent suffering. That's right. Yeah. And so um, when we talk because, about yeah, universalism, we're not talking about an Ali Ali oxen free, everybody gets off the no. hook. Like I agree with you. Again, that 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 verse in Mark, Jesus says everyone passes through the fire. Paul says that um, you know, that there's two kinds of people that pass through the fire. Some people pass through the fire and that fire burns away all the bad and reveals all the good, the gold and the silver and the precious stones. But he says there's another group of people and they pass through the fire and it burns everything up. There's nothing left. 
but he's and they has, only make it through as if through fire. That's right. That's it's right. The, it's the only thing that the the love of God and the justice of God, and you want to call it the white hot wrath of God. Yeah. But it's the refiner's it's, fire. It's the, it's a, it's not it's a the only thing that fire. saves you it's at that just, point. Yeah. You're such. Yeah, it's not a it's not a fire that tortures. It's not a fire that destroys. Yeah. It's a fire that refines and and restores and uh, yeah makes all things new. It's the fire that burns. It's the fire that burns in you when you walk through all that that street that we're talking about yes. with all the Jesus is poor and destitute on the side of the street. It's the fire that burns in you that changes you as you walk from one end of the street to the other. And you get to the other side and you're like, fuck. Yes, I kind of fucked that one up. So. That's right. Yeah, and then and then at the end of that, there is massive amounts of repentance and transformation, and I'm so shame and guilt, yeah, shame and guilt, and then all that needs to be healed and restored. Yes, and so again, that's that's the justice of God. It's this restorative justice of God, and and you know, I think that's why the metaphor of fire is used again. Let's let's be real; it's a metaphor. It's not actually fire. No one's like throwing gasoline and sparking a match. It's not real fire, but it's it's something that will feel uncomfortable. It will feel like, oh, get me out of here. This is not fun. Right. But it mm-hmm. but the purpose like when I did of mushrooms. It, the, pur- <laughs> the purpose of it is not just to make you uncomfortable. The purpose is not just to again torture or destroy. The purpose of all of that, whatever it is, that quote unquote fire experience, uh, that is the justice of God is for our good, right? It's, it's to, it says in Hebrews, it's so that we can share in the holiness of God. Um, but to get and there, a, that's it. And we process. get there. Yeah. And to, yeah. And to get there to that theology, you start with the human yes. and that's where the Christians get it wrong. Like they don't start with the human they start with God. So then the justice ends up looking like our most baser bullshit instincts, retribution or something yeah. worse. Yeah. Um, you know, wrath looks like anger and malice and Driscollism and yeah. <laughs> you know it looks like an, a, a UFC fighter who's going to kick your head in I can't um, wait to see Jesus I can't wait can't to see wait Jesus to he's going to show up and just kick the I shit out of all these people that I Jesus. hate so much that's going to be right. a, the best show ever just watching Jesus but show up he, and smash and destroy and burn and slaughter the trans and the gays and the liberals and the atheists and the people that don't like my podcast and he's I'm gonna mute. I'm gonna mute him right now, uh, folks. He, no one can hear you right now because I muted his mic because I was a little bit sick of that ranting and raving. <laughs> Are you back? Are you better? You sound like you got demon possessed. No, I was. Second. I was channeling Mark Driscoll. Oh, you were channeling. Yeah, the that inner wasn't Driscoll. me. I was channeling the Mark inner, Driscoll. the inner alpha my, male in us all. My inner Driscoll. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, I can't wait being to see producer. Jesus because he thinks that Jesus uh, is coming back to be that kind of right retributive god like that's that's his whole mindset and so many christians that is exactly their mindset they can't imagine you know a god that would respond in with mercy and 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 humility with love with with healing with transformation and restoration they can't can't imagine that i mean they have a top down like we talked about before they have a top down theology they start with god Mm -hmm. which is really just their theology rather than starting with an empathetic view towards human beings yes or a loving posture and compassionate posture towards others. And when you start with that, then you work, then you work, you work your way up to God. Then you re, you go through all the filter of these human experiences that we all can't get away from. Yeah. Mark Driscoll and people like that, the John Pipers of the world, they talk about God as if they themselves aren't a human being. Right. And the, and the, and the, 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 and so they claim the Bible because they have to have some sort of authority for them to have this information. Yeah. Not realizing that that that, that Bible is interpreting through their grids and filters back through the human again. Um, yeah. And, and we're just flipping it and saying, no, we're 
we're going to approach everything, including God, and, and most importantly, probably God, through our human experience first. Yeah. So that we end up with a human loving and posture when, so we can approach gay people and trans people and black people and Hispanic people um, without an agenda first. Mm-hmm. Just getting to know them, like, then, then you don't have to do this whole bullshit of like, um, you know, starting with an agenda and meeting people in the Christian world, starting with an agenda of trying to save them and then, you know, going from there and, and then trying to accept them second, mm-hmm. save them first, accept them second. Well, how about just, we generally don't get, yeah. I would just love them and not only accept them, but like champion them and, 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 you know, like, shoot, that's what you, your differences from my differences are cool now. And I can champion them and, and, and like, just think that's cool about you and not without, without an asterisk. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. And see, that's what I think is so interesting about Jesus is that I feel like <clears throat> the, one of the most amazing things that Jesus does, you know, is he like in the Sermon on the Mount or in the parables, like especially the prodigal son parable, um, he does God, Jesus humanizes God in a way, right? When he tells these parables, like the prodigal son parable, right? Um, everyone listening to that parable that he was talking to, right? He's, he's surrounded by all these Pharisees because we know according to the context, um, cause they had asked him some kind of question, right? About like, why do you hang out with sinners? So he tells these three parables, right? He tells the parable of the, uh, the woman that lost a coin, uh, first, it's the parable of the, the the good shepherd that loses the one sheep, leaves the ninety nine, goes to find it. Second, he tells a parable of the the widow who loses the coin, cleans her house till she finds it, and then celebrates. And then the third parable is the prodigal son. And I'm so again, he's telling this parable, and when he's telling this story about the prodigal son, they're all waiting for the punchline. The punchline in their minds is, well, hey, we get it now. These these parables, like, okay, God is sort of. God is the shepherd, God is the widow, and now God is this father whose son insulted him, goes off and squanders his inheritance. He's, you know, sleeping with prostitutes, he's getting drunk, and now he's even hanging out with the pigs, which is like unclean, massively unclean. And now he's like, oh, I messed up. I'm going to go back to my dad and say, hey, dad, I don't deserve even to be called your son anymore. I'll just be one of your servants because your servants are treated better than I'm living my life right now. And he goes home. And and I'm telling you, the people listening to that story, the Pharisees especially, right, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, even just the common people, because of the, the way they have been taught to think of God, right, they're waiting for the wrath of God, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the story all the way through. You know, uh, God, we, we were with God in the garden. We ate, we disobeyed God and we're banished, right? Or we were worshiping God in the promised land, and then we turned to idols, and then we got invaded and turned into slaves and you know, uh, into, taken into captivity. So this is the pattern, right? We screw up, and then we pay the price. So Jesus is telling this prodigal son story. He comes to that part where like the son is heading home, and, it, and then all that's gone. It's not there at all. Suddenly, God is just a loving father. That's all. God is just a loving father. He runs to his son. He embraces him puts a ring on his finger, puts a, he takes off his robe and puts it around his shoulders. Let's have a party and just celebrates, right? Like it's such the unexpected. Like what are you telling? What's this story you're telling? This is God? And it's it's humanizing God in this really beautiful, powerful way um, that I, I really appreciate about Jesus. I feel like that's what he's doing all the way through his Sermon on the Mount, right? Love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Why? Because that's what God does. That's who God is. God is full of mercy and kindness, right? God 
God lets it rain on the just and on the unjust, which contradicts Moses completely, right? Moses says the opposite in Deuteronomy. Um, so I think it's just, uh, I think that's beautiful. And I think that's the, that's the direction I would say we should get back to sort of the humanity of God, um, and try to see yeah, that from that perspective. That And I love that. I think we you just kind of walked into this, like the whole Matthew five thing talks about all these ways to be human. Right. Mm-hmm. And then don't you get to verse 48, which is the last verse in the chapter. And it's, and it concludes with, therefore, be perfect like God is perfect. Yes. And in, and in Luke, the parallel in six is be, I think it's be merciful as you got, as God is merciful. Right. And so that's the kind of the parallel message there. And so it's redefining how, that term. What do you mean the holiness of God? Through, through how you yes. view humanity. Yes. Yep. Because it's all human, human, human. Blessed are the meek, the poor. It's talking about human things, anthropological, sociological things. Yes. It's talking about marriage. It's talking about what happens when someone takes your coat. It, it talks yep. about, you know, all these, you know, when we're supposed to walk two miles. With, you know what I mean? Yep. It's talking about all these things that human beings do. And it's saying, why do we do that? Then we get to God. Yeah. And you're like, oh, ah. that's what God's like. God's like the this. God is like this particular way of being human. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And see, again, going back to what we were saying at the beginning, um, when, when Jesus read, Jesus, I think, is right there exactly what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe the entire point is to redefine the holiness of God. If, if your idea of the holiness of God is this power over, right, like the Driscolls and the Pipers and evangelical Christians, then the, then that concept of the holiness of God creates division. It creates separation between God and man because God is holy and we're not, and God is powerful and we're not. It's all about authority. Obey again, just just obey, just worship, just shut up and do what we tell you. Um, that's the way. If you, it, that's what happens when you define holiness that way. But if mm-hmm. if you define holiness like again the way Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, it's like no, the holiness of God is defined by the goodness of God, the kindness of God, right? The mercy of God, the love of God, the compassion of God. That's Jesus says, be holy like that. All the, all the shit Jisco would call beta. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, it's and woke. most Christian men would most Christian men would call it beta. Yeah. It's 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 wearing the crocs and the skinny jeans and you know, being the Mamby Pamby worship leader guy, you know, the, the, those guys that Driscoll hates. No, but that's what Jesus is. And they hate that too. That's the other thing too. They hate the the picture of Jesus as one who is, you know, again, like why Driscoll doesn't preach about that, right? He What does he preach about when he talks about Jesus? He preaches about the, the guy with a tattoo on his thigh and a sword in his hand. And he's ready to make somebody bleed. Right. He says, that's the, that's the God I can worship, but he can't, can't face, can't handle the God who is human, the God who is loving and kind and merciful and and forgiving. Yeah. That's why I say in, um, in my essay and who is Jesus to you? Like, I mean, I love, I'm in, I'm obsessed with the last of us right now because I'm playing through part two. It's great. Yeah. Also fuck that game because it, (laughs) It your will heart tear out. your heart out. Yes, it does. It, my God. And and then it will do it again over and over. Yes. And it's exhausting. But they want the they want Jesus who's like Joel or like the characters in like our retributive nature. Mm-hmm. And even what that game does, like spoiler alert, I won't give a spoiler alert, but it there's a te- there's obviously a teaching tool that 
the world in which our baser instincts of retribution are very fulfilling in the moment. And then they're like, they're like a drug Mm -hmm. that we never get away from. And, and in the meantime, everything fucking goes by the wayside and falls apart. And look at what happens (laughs) in so many of these people's lives with this, this kind of theology that they become mimetic about. They themselves become retributive. Yes. Because they want to be like, if you have a God who's like that, we want to be like God. That's right. Right. Like we're mimetic. So if your God is a badass and in the way you think of being badassery, mm-hmm. I think God is a badass. I think Jesus is a badass, yeah. but in a, in a way different definition of that. Right. Um, yeah. Because, and, the, and yeah. I, and I'm going to follow that if I take it, if I take it, yeah, you know, if I think it's important enough, I'm going to follow something. We all are. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah, be careful. I, you know? I, I, I like that. Jesus is a badass. I think Jesus is a badass in the sense of he's doing, he's practicing such radical kindness, compassion, love, and forgiveness that most, most of us are terrified of that. Like what, you know, that's why when when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, wait, he wants me to do that. What? Because anybody that could do that, like I can't do that. Like that's just sounds like what, you know, because it's not the thing that appeals to that part of us. It's like, I want to be the badass. Yeah. I want to be that. I want to project that. You know, and so that would be easy. That would be fun. That would be, I, you know, that's that's fulfilling something within me. Like, yeah, I want to be that. But when Jesus says, no, no, be this other stuff, you know, d- d- do what I'm doing, loving and forgiving, k- kindness, you know, all that stuff. It's like, ooh, that's, damn, that's harder than I thought it was. And it's harder than anything I want to even attempt. Yeah. Well, this has been a good one. Yeah. So- Talk about Jesus a lot on this show. Tell you what, for a, for a bunch of apostates, <laughs> yeah, I've never talked about Jesus more in my life. <laughs> well, get used to it. I mean, there's probably a lot of more, a lot more Jesus stuff coming up. So much. We we have like Jesus in the title of a lot of our books, yeah. accidentally. Yeah, we were talking. We have Finding Jesus coming out. Um, probably about the actually time this t- comes out. Yeah. Came out today. Yeah, today. Yeah, go pick up Herb Montgomery. Yep. Uh, second edition of Finding Jesus. With a great forward by this guy, Keith Giles. It's really awesome. Go check it out. He's a guy with a podcast or three. Yeah. Um, And then we have Who is Jesus to You? Yeah. We have, we have, we have a book called Inking Christ coming out later. Yeah. We have, um, how many Jesus? We have a lot of Jesus. A lot lot of of Jesus. A lot of Jesus. A lot of Jesus coming. Compared to last year when we are, we were intentionally sort of like steering away from the Jesus thing, all of a sudden, and we didn't plan it. We did, totally did not plan this, but but because um, you know a lot of these books, were, people just submitted the books to us, and we're looking at the book, and like, hey, that's a that's a fascinating book. Let's publish that book. But as we're laying out the release schedule and looking at all the books we're going to publish, yeah, there's a lot more Jesus uh, books coming out, and we bargained for him. Yeah, but it's like it's like Jesus, like a, he's like a needy ex boyfriend. He came. <laughs> He came back into it. We can't quit Guys, you. I got all I got all these books for you. We can't quit you, Please Jesus. read them. Yeah. No, no, Jesus, you're cool. We'll, I'll be happy to publish interesting looks at your life, my friend. Yes. My friend, Jesus, last name, Christ. <laughs> Jesus, H. Christ. Stands yeah. For. yeah, so this, Hugo. this was great. So yeah, thanks everyone um, for, yeah. for listening, for hopefully liking and sharing. Tell your friends about us. Um, we'd appreciate it. And that. tell us, tell, tell, uh, find us on social media. We have a, we have a choir TikTok. We got a, there's a Pathios TikTok. There's uh 
all sorts of cool shit. Yeah, and then of course we're, we're both personally on Instagram and TikTok as well. Yeah, we like. To I don't want you to find me. I'm gonna back it. My my goal as the years go really? on is to you're gonna pull away. Step back into the shadows. Okay. And well, I'm gonna knock it. No, I'm gonna pull away. I'm gonna I'm just gonna be like Ralph. Like I'm oh, I see. Choir. I see. Okay. All right. No, I still want to write. See, I still love writing. I do I have too. A lot of books. I'm, I'm hoping one day soon I might have time to start writing my next book. So one day soon. Uh, I'm thinking because I don't know any better. I'm thinking maybe next month. Maybe maybe. Well, there weren't. This is we're recording this in February. You're gonna you're gonna have a book done in next in. No, no, I'm gonna month? start writing the book. I will not and have it. will be done in a week. I mean, I do. I'll have a book coming out. I, I have a book, The Gospel of Thomas, right? That'll be out. Yeah. Uh, like April, something like that. And then um, March, April, something like April, that. April 20th, right? Yes, 420. Something like that. And then- um, Is that something I'd do? I do have a book of poetry, and that's pretty much done. Um, that will be yeah. out sometime later this year. So if nothing else, I will put the poetry book out. Um, but I'm, I mean, like a book. What are you complaining about, Keith? What are you complaining about? You're doing just fine. I know, but I, I look- don't, don't beat yourself up. I- I when I think about who I am, I primarily am a writer. I've always loved writing, mm-hmm. and when I'm not able to sit down and write, express myself, because really my my way of expressing myself is through writing. Express yourself. Then you know, I, it feels like I'm I'm being suffocated. So I have to make room, and I've got a book. Like I'm right here next to me. It's been sitting here for months. I've got this. Uh, looking, I'm old school here, man. Look at this. This is my this is my next book. Old man Giles. Yeah, uh, Look at all those post-it notes. Post-it notes, and it's it's a if you, you guess, got post-it notes and a and a and a like a fifty ring folder paper. It's a it's a, it's a yeah it's a ring binder, and it's uh, it it's got front and back. It's my outline for my next book. With so I got I have a I have a legal pad. Is that is that your next book? No, no. My to do list. How do you? I'm, so I'm curious. Right here at the end, how do you? How do you? When you're writing a book, do you do an outline? What's my creative? Yeah, what's, what's your my creative process? Yeah, I do an outline. But are you on a Google Docs or on Word or? Um. So I learned on Word. Yeah. And I know some people are aggravated by Word. And I use Word all the time. I am too sometimes. Um. It's like I want to put a picture here, and Word's like, no, no, nope. no. Nope. <laughs> it goes where we say. Yeah. Um. But I'm used to words, so I, that's what I use. I and say, yeah, I, I I outline like especially my Tolkien books. I outline, yeah. um, obviously like the letters that I'm writing mm-hmm. for my one of my Tolkien books. I'm not outlining because I'm just answering letters, sure. and they're all the equivalent of a vignette. And you'll you'll arrange them um, maybe once you get them all written, you can go back and say, okay, I want this one to be first. I want this one in the middle. I want this one at the end. Yeah. I think them. I'm going to arrange them by topic and make like five or six topics. Okay. That's cool. That's going to be my plan. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like to outline things and then, and then it kind of just flows. Yeah. I don't use AI for outlining. No. I've, I've looked no. at it and it's just like, uh, no, it's garbage. This doesn't help. No. Cause I know what I want to say when I'm outlining a book. So like, um, I actually, that's where I got into trouble with when I wrote Solideos is that I, I outlined it. But my outline only took me about halfway through it. And I just thought to myself, well, once I get that far into the book, I'll know how to get out of it. I'll know how to land this plane. And when and that didn't happen. And you didn't. I got halfway through it and I was like, oh God, what am I doing? Um, and that's why that book was so hard to write. It took me a while to fig- sort of like figure out, okay, how do I get to the end? Um, so it worked mm-hmm. out. I'm very happy that it did work out. But I, but I promised myself I would never do that again. From now on, 
I will have the entire yeah. book outline beginning to end before I start. But then, the, then there's the case, and I know we're up on time, but I, then there's the case of um, sometimes you have to change your outline because oh, I do. you just realize I the do. order is not correct or this and that. Yeah, so. no, that happens all the time. In um, fact, I would, I would say that almost every book I've ever written, uh, I'll write the outline. Then usually, again, my process, yeah. I'll, uh, once I've written that first draft, I print it out. And then Wendy will read through it and make notes. And quite often she'll say, chapter seven should be chapter two or chapter 10 should be chapter mm -hmm. five, or you've got to say this before you say that. Right. So she'll help me. And that, so that outline gets rearranged quite a bit. In fact, second cup with Keith was like a nightmare. Cause like she was like psh, rearranging all this stuff. Um, but it worked out. Right. So like, of course, but the out, I need the outline to write the book. Uh, if I'm going to, if I at least yeah. sit down and write it, I need the outline to get to the end. And then once it's written, then you can play with it. Yeah. So there That's you go. A little bonus. Said. All for right, you. folks. A little bonus for you there at the end. Our writing process. Yeah. All right. Rate and review. Like this show. Tell one friend this week. We love you. We'll see you in two weeks. Peace. All right.